Now, here's Matt Mosley. It is Matt Mosley. And uh, after walking the halls today of the Baylor School of Journalism, over there at the Castellaw School of Communications, we get a man who knows a thing or two about journalism. It is none other than Kevin Longquist from Rivals.com. You see him on Twitter, at Sikkim Sports. Has a lot of updates on there, a lot of great recruiting information. And uh, Kevin, it's good to have you today. It was uh, that was a late, late night, uh, the Provo situation, and I was not pleased at all. And and I, uh, it's great to have you back as always. But now, Kevin, were you after you know letting a, a couple of days go by here? Do you kind of have a, a a more of a feeling of optimism toward hey, this offense will eventually figure it out? I guess. How how surprised were you that 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 the offense functioned like that and almost had kind of reminded folks of of that Oklahoma State game last year? Well, I think in a lot of cases, Matt, that maybe a lot of us, myself included, probably had far too high expectations about what we were expecting to see from this offense. And I think we have to remember too, when you go to a place like BYU, nationally ranked, they pulled off a lot of big wins over the years in their building, that this was going to be a slugfest for Baylor to try and win it. And heck, keep in mind, too, that they were a doinked extra point away from not even going into overtime. If they don't miss their touchdown, their their extra point after the first in the first half, they probably win this thing 21 to 20. But I think overall, from an offensive standpoint, I was a little bit surprised by how conservative it was in terms of not taking some shots down the field, this young wide receiver group, you know, is what it is. But the fact that they didn't challenge the BYU secondary to an extent and which allowed BYU to load the box, which made it more difficult to run the football, it kind of played into BYU's hands a little bit, and that turned into the slugfest that BYU wanted, and eventually they came out on top, and now Baylor has to kind of regroup. As far as feeling optimistic or the other, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent toward it. I think I really want to see how they perform uh, at Iowa State in two weeks to determine where I think this thing is going. I'm going to give the fact that, again, that's BYU. And whether or not BYU thinks it was a revenge game or not, that's up to them. But it was a game that they had circled because of how poorly they got pushed around down here last year. Yeah, they were – I mean, that was really something to – look at that crowd and see the reaction and know what it meant to the BYU fandom, especially coming into the big 12. Uh, and they, that certainly at number 27, by the way, did step up that wide receiver. Um, yeah. uh, it, that was Jake really Roberts. chase Roberts. Yeah. yeah. That guy was, that guy was uh, impressive. Now I, I think that the reason I don't overreact and panic is because of my uh, belief in Jeff Grimes. I I also know, I think that was extremely hard on Jeff, and I'm sure Eric as well, Mateos and whoever Mm -hmm. else came from BYU. You you go back home, you want to have a great performance. Ironically, guess why part of the reason BYU accomplished what it did and that quarterback played so well and the offense functioned okay is because of the foundation that he put down there. 
Uh, so it, it's a it's a really interesting thing. Now, from a receiver stand, a receiving standpoint, what have you heard on um, the other? You know, we we heard from Dave Aranda. He'll speak again in his weekly show tonight. Uh, Baldwin. I'm trying to think who else was mentioned. Who who else got banged up uh, in Tim that McWilliams. game? Tim McWilliams. Uh, yeah, Tay McWilliams. Any uh, what are we what are we hearing on those uh, injuries as we head into to game three? I, I wouldn't not too much. I mean, I wouldn't. Th- I mean, if we if it is what everyone kind of thinks it is when it comes to a possible, I think we need to stress the word possible, possible concussion or something like that. You and I both know, Matt, from watching the NFL, that they're going to take this all the way up to potentially Saturday before they really know if they're going to be available or not. If it were me, though, Matt, even if they were, and I tweeted this out yesterday, if it were me, the fact that they're playing Texas State, as a team that they should handle Saturday morning, they shouldn't even consider playing these two. They don't need them in this game. They need to get them ready for Iowa State because that's when it's going to count in terms of chasing the Big 12 championship. And having them available or not available, it doesn't matter. I don't think they should play them regardless. Yeah, I I, I, I hear what no you're need, saying. I mean, there's really no need to do it, Matt. I mean, look, I mean, you and I have seen over the years, especially in college games and even in pro games, uh, where, you know, top guys or valued uh, contributors, when they know they're facing a lesser opponent, if somebody's got a ding, and as slight as it is, they're, gonna, they're not going to play them just because I'm like, well, why would I risk doing that? Yeah. Unless – and I think in Monterey and Tay's case – Baylor's got enough, you know, possible depth back there. I mean, we saw yeah. great things from Squirrel, and we saw a really, uh, you know, the two underlying things that came out of that game were how well Squirrel and Quaylen Jones ran the football in Tay's absence. And so you can get by with those two and, and still beat Texas State. The two things, the, the, the two things that Baylor has to do, in my opinion, is that they got to get this offensive line moving in the right direction because that group did not look very good. Uh, yeah, on Saturday, they had two egregious penalties in the second overtime. And I think the silent killer was, with all due respect to Ben Sims, that holding penalty on him in the first overtime was a backbreaker. Yeah, it it was. And he, he, he was doing fine. It, it, the play was so far behind. And you just... What happens is, Kevin, and you kind of understand it, these players want to not only get a block, but they want to dominate the other player. But then when you so overtly take a guy to the ground, every I think a lot of Baylor fans were mad that that play was called because it was so far away from the ball. But what you can't do is, is, is give the official a choice. In that kind of with, with that in that kind of huge moment. Now you know I love Sims and Dabney and those guys are yeah. incredible players and and hopefully um, you know hopefully they they learn from some of that. But that ended up being a big play. The other one was and, and and you'll say, well Matt, you know they didn't end up scoring on that drive. Well, it did change field position. And the one I'm talking about is the the Dylan Doyle. I mean, uh, right. as there was a time when you would look at that hit and go, great hit. You know, tremendous. Mm-hmm. We're about five years removed from that, or three or four, whatever years removed from that mm-hmm. time. If you go anywhere near the head and neck area, you're gonna you're gonna be in you're gonna be in trouble. And and mm-hmm. uh, and that's a great player. He he certainly knows better and didn't mean any any ill will by that. But sure. you know, you you need your big time leaders like Ben Sims and Doyle. 
not making plays like that. And I don't think they will. I don't think they will, right. but uh, that kind of sets the tone. Now, I, I was interested in what Dave Aranda said. Talking to Kevin Longquist from Rivals.com, at Sikkim Sports is where I follow a lot of his uh, updates. But I, I thought Aranda, and one of the really good things about Aranda is how candid and upfront he is as opposed to some coaches. And his admission that the offense was timid, uh, both in the O-line, I think he thought that maybe the receivers and the quarterback. Uh, and then he also talked about the eyes being a little big. It, Kevin, it's, it, isn't it strange? I mean, I think we think, well, this team is veteran O-line, veteran D-line, some veteran linebackers and, and D-backs, you know, that, that they'll be okay in that environment. But but there are there are all kinds of inexperienced skill players in that game uh, I found that interesting that Dave was so open with the fact that, hey, I mean, the crowd threw us off. Most coaches don't want to admit that. Dave did. Yeah. I, and, you know, one thing that I had brought up last week, Matt, with, with talking to some other people was the fact that this was going to be Blake Shapin's first true road test. Keep in mind last year, he came into Kansas State with basically his hair on fire, couldn't really fo- couldn't really worry about all the pregame hoopla leading up to the game because Gary was starting that game. He comes in when Gary goes out, so he's just got to go on the fly and just try and run the offense. And Baylor never trailed in that game anyway, so the crowd was kind of subdued up in Manhattan anyway. Then his next start is at home here against Texas Tech, and then his other start is in AT&T Stadium in Arlington where it's a neutral crowd, so you're not going to have that kind of ambiance where everybody in the building except for a few hundred are against you. And so this was really Blake's first true test. And I think the game plan somewhat reflected that in terms of not putting him in a bad situation. I know that, but I think still in some respect that they needed to try and test the secondary. But to your point, yeah, that, that's the one thing where this young skill group probably kind of got a little bit geeked by the fact that you have 63,000 folks that are wearing blue and white that are all for their team and they don't want you to win. And that's what it's going to be like for this group to just learn to get used to when they go to Ames in two weeks, it's two weeks, when they go to Morgantown, regardless of what kind of season West Virginia is having, when they go to Norman on November 5th, and depending on what, what kind of mood Texas is in the day after Thanksgiving, they got to go to Austin too. So it's not going to get any easier for this group, but they got to learn how to deal with that. And maybe BYU was a great baptism for them to say, this is how it is, folks. You got to figure it out. All right, and, and real quick, um, I, I did have some, uh, uh, and you follow this too, we, we had some recent um, basketball, another uh, commitment that was kind of exciting. You know, they got, a, they got a point guard. And then, Kevin, I'll just put this on your radar, and you've been following this as well. But, um, well, the Bears are, the Bears are, there's a 2024 guard out of uh, Lake Highlands, Trey Johnson, and man, right. the full court press is on. I'm talking about visits. I'm talking about Scott oh, yeah. has been in the neighborhood quite a bit in Lake Isle. I mean, this to me, uh, this is as big a priority as Keontae George or anybody they've gone after in the past five, ten years. If they could get him uh, in, and again, two straight lotteries. Keontae could make it three straight lotteries, and yet this 2024 Trey Johnson. Uh, is as talented uh, a kid as I've ever seen at the high school level. I mean, I, and I've, I say that, and of course, I got to see Marcus Smart, 
but but the skill level he has. So anyway, I just some interesting stuff. And by the way, we're about to have uh, Kev L.J. Cryer. I thought that was some great news that came out this week that he had been fully cleared and he will be yeah. joining the program here in a few minutes. That's got to be really exciting to this Baylor program to get him back full go. Yeah, I, I think the fact that he's he's there and there, and then the other good news is, of course, is, you know, Langston Love is on track and I think the expectations are that he should be full go once they open the season, you know, first week of uh, November. So I, I think that they're going to be all the way back and healthy. And with this talent on this team, again, they're going to be Big 12 championship contenders and they're going to be in the national championship conversation. And that's just the way it's going to be with this program for the coming years because of the type of recruiting that Scott has been able to pull off. And, of course, they got two nice additions to the 2024 class, and then we'll see how this all unfolds with Trey Johnson down the line. All right, Kevin. I was glad to see the Alito Bearcats get back on track against uh, against Justin Northwest. You know, Hoss Haney with a nice performance, and hopefully that's the start of something really good. Uh, have a uh, have a great rest of the week, and I look forward to seeing you for Bobcats versus Bears. Sounds good, Matt. You take care. All right, Kevin's very official at the at the end there. Uh, okay.